0: Hey yo, we about to tear it up Hey Break for break 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 it down This right here is
1: how we do it Break it
2: down It's the Breaking Actions podcast We break things down to the very last compound My name is Summit,
1: aka the failed Homo sapien And my name is Chris Mitchell, aka the actual factual
2: Come on now, come on now.
1: I had a brief up, moment, listen, you know. I, 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 I was, I was th- going to forget
2: my aka. <laughs> is it because I? Is it because I threw you off? You did. You did. Is this I'm a thing now? That. I didn't. No, I'm just going to switch it up here and there because I look at myself and I go, I am really much a failed Homo Sapien, and I think our guest, today's guest, would really agree that I was a failed Homo Sapien because um, Gary Suarez came with the smoke on the Breaking
1: Atoms podcast. Mad smoke. It was, it was, um, it was a, it was a smoke fest, a smoke session. <laughs> it was a smoke Yeah, it
2: was a yo, smoke fest. He ca- yo, he came locked and loaded. We talked about a number of things. We talked about, you know, editor, writer relationship, critiquing, uh, being an actual real music critic, um, cabbages, um, the brand, the podcast, the Substack. um, MF Doom there was a range but one thing
1: I take from it is y- he is with the smoke he's he's um, ready at all time he's <laughs> uh he's the most the most uh he's got the most eloquent subliminals <laughs> I'm telling you man I know I said it in the interview but these DJs and these journalists are out here wiling. they are they are on they the are. pandemic but, timeline
2: but I really I'm really glad that we were able to speak to him he's someone that we both thoroughly respect um and uh, it was really good to speak to him, man. He he came he came with the fitted. He came with the, he came prepared with the with the background or looking nice and nice and shiny and white. Now like he came through, so yeah. Um, I appreciate no, I'm, I'm br- his heart
1: for the culture too. I, I feel like it comes from a really genuine place.
2: Yes, I, I agree. Uh, his passion does shine through, um, even if he is with the smoke. But the reason why he's with the smoke because he cares. It's because he
1: cares. Yeah, you, I and mean, he cares about his craft. You can't care and not be with the smoke so we, we you know what <laughs> I might have to call this episode Everlasting Smoke Smokefest yeah. Gary yeah, wanted I, it mate he wanted he it he did I, at some point I thought he was going to reach through the screen and just punch me box me
2: yeah, and, then, yeah, yeah. and just go there you go now, it's, it's you that go, Queen's now. energy Yeah, it's yeah. that Queen's energy yeah he did he yeah. did but no I, I had fun on this episode Learned a lot and uh, once again as someone that we thoroughly respect this is Gary Suarez Breaking Atoms podcast check it out it's another special episode of the Breaking Atoms podcast. Today we're joined by journalistic royalty, Chris, uh, someone whose work we appreciate. Um, I'm pleased to have journalist, music critic and the mind behind cabbages, the newsletter and the podcast, Gary Suarez. Gary, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you guys doing today? Uh, we're we living, man. I I need to get a hat like that. You see the contrast between the
0: yeah he, he repping flushing is fire.
2: and he got the blue hat. It's like the New York Knicks.
0: Yeah, shout it's hard. out to it's hard. Pro, I love it. I love uh, it. That's love the thing, it. you know. I, look, I know you guys do video. I had to make sure I look good today. I shaved and everything. his beard is on point. Come on, like, come on, beard is on
2: like he came come correct. On. You gotta
0: be fresh. I gotta be fresh today. You know,
2: you
0: gotta you got sport, gotta sport appropriately. You know, especially like like you know, you guys being over other side of the Atlantic. I gotta make sure that I'm repping properly for Queens. We're impressed. We're impressed. Is that where you're originally from, Gary? Born and raised. Yeah, I've lived in different parts of Queens in my life. I've lived in Jamaica, Corona, and now I'm in Astoria. So I've I've been in all over this borough, basically for the past, you know, forty-some odd years.
1: Okay, it's timely. I was just watching a a little documentary on the Bridge Wars. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This um yeah Queens Queens had a a bit of a rough time. Yeah, I'm probably about a
0: uh, about uh, five minutes. Ten minutes drive, depending on the lights, to uh, to Queensbridge from here. So,
1: okay, stay away. Yep, <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, stay right where, you are. There good there where all, you are. Used to be
2: there all the time. Hip, non hip hop related. My mm. first time
0: in New York,
2: two thousand and five, two thousand and six. I stayed in Astoria,
0: Queens. Okay, I love that area, It was really nice. No, it's great. I mean, I love it here, I mean, I'm a big advocate for it. I think it's like, you know, there's a lot of interesting things have happened here because Queens is such, you know, you talk about like the melting pot, quote unquote, but like Queens is above and beyond that whole idea. It is the essence of diversity. And growing up here, I just thought it was normal. I didn't realize until I really left Queens that like the rest of the country really wasn't like this. You know, we just have like immigrant communities compounded on each other and just everyone's together. And you know, obviously the food is great. And you know, you'd go to school with other kids. Like I went to school with kids of like a spectrum of, of of races and ethnicities. And the reality was just like that's just normal. That's just what we do. It wasn't like, oh, this is different. This is special. I only realized that retrospectively, that like actually this is a unique experience that will affect your 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 worldview and your outlook. And that's why you have, you know, things like you know, not to, to to steer you guys in any direction for this show, but like why stuff like hip hop coming out of New York is so interesting that you can have people of so many different groups. You could have like what Das Racist did and you could have what, you know, Mob Deep did come out of the same borough and it both yeah. be credible. No, definitely.
1: Well said. It's a similar thing where I grew up in a place called Kensal Rise in London. It wasn't only until maybe the last 10 years, I'm 38, and it was only in the last 10, 15 years I realized just how fortunate i was to grow up in that particular community because we had brazilian portuguese african west indian and at the time growing up there was no social lines at least i I wasn't aware of them Mm -hmm. it was just like we're all in this community together i could knock your door cup of sugar all the kids went to school together you know but then when you get older you know things happen but i'm not i'm I'm very fortunate and i I think i've got a similar experience to you
2: that's great same same i i pretty much grew up we call it estates you guys call it projects same thing you yeah. get exposed to different different cultures um different cuisine different types of music it really helps to shape who you become because you're exposed to at such a young age and it gives you different perspectives so it, that is very very important um gary talk to me about your start in journalism let's go right to the beginning sure. the, you know the very you know very easy question talk to us about your start in journalism
0: yeah i mean i i have an unconventional um career because I, I've never went in a traditional path. I always thought that I'd be doing kind of quote unquote writing on the side. And that would just be what I did for my life. You know, I went to school for marketing, you know, I, you know, I came out and worked office jobs for years, you know, desk jobs, managerial work, things like that. I had teams underneath me, but at the same time it was, I had starting in college been writing for online publications this is before really the blog era and so this is actually like we used to, we were still thinking of it in the mindset of the zine and so like e-zine was a term that was being used at the time you guys are conceivably old enough to remember that term having some weight so before we talk about like the the, the blog era it's like the e-zine era where these people were just saying well we take a, an idea we just bring this into the online space you know we're still trying to figure it out we suddenly have like a version of high speed internet fewer and fewer of us are using modem so in college i uh, i was reading this publication called the brain which was a a weekly you know newsletter for lack of a better term that was online um, and it was an outset of uh, so it was an extension of this website called brainwash.com um and the whole premise of that site was just like it did it was genre agnostic the only thing it didn't write about was major label artists so i had the opportunity after being a reader for a bit, you know, probably in about 2000, um, I'd reached out to the, uh, the guy who ran the site, John Whitney, and kind of expressed an interest in writing. And it was for free because it was a non, it wasn't like it was a for profit venture in any way. And I was just told I could write about anything I wanted to write about, but it just couldn't be a major label artist or a major label release. And so I wrote a lot about electronic music. I wrote about hip hop. I wrote about dub reggae. I wrote across these things. And what that start did for me was two things. One, it allowed me to kind of move into a sort of generalist direction, which has helped me throughout my career as as a writer, but it also gave me room to be critical in which if I had come on in a staff role at an established publication, either through an internship or through a junior editorial role, I would not have had that kind of autonomy. So I'm grateful for that experience because that was a place where you could shit on a record. You could say like, this is fucking garbage. And- it was fine because that was, no one was going to judge you for that internally. No one say, oh no, our advertisers. Oh no, maybe this is going to mess up my relationships here. It was like, no, this is fucking trash. This is a trash record. Wow. That's a great way to cut your teeth. So that freedom. And I did yeah, that for years and again, because I had a full, like after college, so I, was, then I was in college, but after college, I had full-time work and you know, I worked in, I worked in book publishing for like 13 years and marketing. And so the reality was for a UK based company, actually, shout out Cambridge. Um and I, I was did that for a number of years. I wrote on the side. So I wasn't trying to be a professional, you know, critic as my as my main gig, but I enjoyed writing about music and listening to music. And so it it was a place for me to do that and I, I'm grateful to have that opportunity. You know, a lot of people come in, they want that, they want to be the person at Complex, they want to come in at Pitchfork, they want to come in at a Hip Hop DX, you know, they want to come into some of these places and I don't fault them for wanting that, but that's not the route that I took. It's far more circuitous than that.
1: Mm, mm. So with, with all the freedom and you having to focus on indie artists and kind of getting your foot in the door, what were the stages in terms of developing your, your writing? Well, was?
0: it was interesting because like I was doing music criticism at a time when music criticism was still considered to some extent viable or at least valuable to some extent. And what happened was over time that became less of a thing. Fewer outlets wanted it. You know, it wasn't like I was saying, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pitch here. I wasn't even thinking about pitching. It was just I was developing a voice that was a critical voice. And that's influenced by both the places I was writing for and then kind of some of the stuff that I read as a, as a kid. You know, The Trouser Press Guide is like the most important book in my life and will always be. And if you've never seen it or if your reader, if your listeners aren't familiar with it, uh, look it up. It was a publication that had a few different uh, iterations. The guide was like written by music critics who were able to speak very candidly about a wide range of, for lack of a better term now, alternative music artists. And that that was genre agnostic again. And so if they didn't like something or thought something was bad, then they shit on it in there. And that was like the same brand of mine that was reading Rolling Stone magazine was reading the, the Trouser Press Guide. So if they were like, if, if somebody, if some critic in a Rolling Stone review, you know, name dropped suicidal tendencies, I could go back into the Trouser press guide and read about suicidal tendencies and be like, oh, okay. And then I could go back and read about Black Flag. And then all these things would inform it going forward. But you could see people saying whether something was a good record or a bad record. So over time, I developed a voice that was critical in nature, which helped me when I tried my hand at blogging for a number of years, I did blogging for, interestingly enough, uh, a metal publication. Uh, and it was fun to do that and kind of talk about that. There was a really great noise rock scene in New York. Obviously, there's a great metal scene here, too. So and it's a hub for shows. Any band's going to come through here. So that was good. So I had my hand at kind of that. And there was still that sort of like critical voice was there and sort of an antagonistic approach to it as well. Like I wasn't trying to make the reader happy or I was not trying to make a record label happy. It's like, if I liked it, then I'd say I liked it. If I didn't like it, then I would be very clear about that too. Um, and then that led me to the quietest ultimately where I decided I had been listening to, I mean, I'd never stopped listening to hip hop. It just was, as I decided I wanted to do more work, I admired what they were doing at the quietest because I felt like, while there's certainly sort of a, a more academic approach there, than the metal blog I was writing for, there was still this freedom to say something was good or bad. And I love that. And I don't think you get that from a lot of places. So that, and that is where I started really developing myself as a hip hop critic.
1: Okay. So based on what you're saying, and before I hand over to Summit, the freedom part is really important to you. I, I don't think you could find yourself working somewhere where you have, you're kind of steered towards having to cover a certain artist in a certain way. Cause look, I, I studied journalism. Like I'm a failed journalist. And I, too. I never forget, forget that. You guys are doing- I, fail, I fail in life. Um, I, I remember writing for a blog and I won't say the name of the artist, but I remember them saying to me at first, we're covering this artist. And I was like, but what if I don't like, this artist and that let me know that we're working with this artist and I'm like okay so I have to write about this artist favorably
0: and that never sat well that's the reality of it like I would never have done well in those environments I'm not saying I wouldn't have done it because everybody needs to check at the end of the day I'm not I'm not rich I I have have never you know I've made a living I make a living these days of some sort by doing this sort of work but the reality is like this is not something you make a great deal of money doing so um, if I'm going to make I guess my feeling is like, if I'm going to make some money off of this, I'd like to be doing it without having to compromise my actual views and opinions. You know, have I written have I written about artists I don't particularly care about before? Yes. But if you read it, it's not me gushing about them. It's maybe me being a bit more neutral about it or speaking to why they are loved by their fans or appreciated by a certain listenership. You know, there's ways a writer can get around around that unless you have an editor or an ad man behind you saying, no, actually, we need you to make this a big deal because there's merchandising and there's relationships and there's things that we have to keep with it. So no, I would never do well with it. I mean, I've, I've, I think I've only I said this the other day on Twitter. I think I've applied for fewer than 10 media music publication writer journalist jobs in the past 20 years. It's it's. Largely done as just a dare more than anything else. Um, And nowadays, I really couldn't see anything other than, say, a critic role where I really was able to be a critic.
1: Yeah, so next time I read the newsletter or, you know, one of your pieces, (laughs) if it's neutral or you're talking about how much this artist is loved by their fans. That will set off the back signal in my head
0: to say, "No, Gary." Really <laughs> uh, I think work. in the newsletter, I'm a bit, I'm a bit more candid than that. It's if you read in some of the other work that I do, the work that I do for other places, you might find that that's a bit of a, a deep code. And as another, as another writer, I think you'd you'd appreciate that. You can find that in there.
1: <laughs> How
2: Absolutely. do you approach some, a critical piece? I'm I'm interested just in that because a lot has to go into listening to a project and album, and I'm not going to call it a review because it's completely different to that. Mm. But how would you approach, and obviously I don't want to give up, I don't want to give up too much of the source, mm-hmm. but how do you approach, I'm very interested because in I have a question about editors, but I actually wanted to just freestyle this one. How do you approach a critical piece?
0: I mean, I, it's hard to to, to put it into words, but I'm going to do my best here. You know, you have to train your brain and your ear to think critically and listen critically. The problem is you can't turn it off once you do. So it's about when you listen to a record, you're kind of pre-writing it, even if you're not listening to it in the context of sitting down at your desk or in front of a computer or even taking notes on your phone these days and doing it. It's just like, it is part of the process. So like if I'm listening to a record in the shower, my brain is processing that record that way. It's only if I have something purely on his background and I'm doing something else that I might not actively think of it that way. So it's become an automatic process for me. I think it, it starts generally with training your, your brain and your ear that way um, and reading a great deal, reading a great deal of actual criticism versus journalism. Like I, I often struggle with the term journalist. It, it gets used to describe me and I've used it myself you know, I sometimes say "journal" because I feel like it's almost a pejorative version of that. You know, rather than saying "journalist," to say I'm a journal and that you know takes away some of the that the weight of that. Because I didn't go to journalism school, and I've never had a journalism job. Um, I saw myself as a critic, and I always have, and I think I trained myself that way. I don't want to say it's a lost art per se, because there's still plenty of that that goes on. But it is something that you do have to develop over over time to really write about things critically, and also to write. And I hate to say this because it sounds pretentious as fuck when you think about it, but it's just like to write fearlessly, to not be afraid of the fact that your review might not go over well. Like the the people who strike, I talk to people who write at double XL on the source. They talk about death threats. They talk about people coming in. They talk about ass weapons. They talk about real situations, which is like if those people, men and women, could handle the level of threats and abuse that they got from artists and managers and people. Back in those days, I can handle a couple of people who are sad or angry at me on Twitter about an album review. I think I'm going to be all right.
2: Fair. That's fair. Um, Mention editors in a slightly different context, but Mm -hmm. for you, what are the traits or the characteristics, attributes rather, that makes a good editor?
0: I mean, there's the selfish answer and the honest answer. The selfish answer is an editor who stays out of your way is that they let you they let you do your thing they tell <laughs> you you've submitted clean copy beautifully i've got no changes or i've got minor changes and you go thank you that's that's the that's the, the look and especially when you're when you're doing what i do as a full-time freelancer and you're juggling different assignments at a different time yeah there is a there's a certain pleasure in not having to constantly revisit a piece that you've done already but a good editor a good editor looks at your work even at the level that you're writing at and says, is there something that's missing here? Could this, you know, could your lead be stronger? Could you make this point earlier in the piece? Could I restructure this in a way that's actually better for the reader as opposed to the way you've organized it? And just provides an interesting question. You know, there's a difference between that and someone who goes in and makes edits for the sake of edits. And then it just suddenly becomes an aesthetic choice or someone who feels like if they don't put enough little notes in the Google doc, then they're not doing their job is if they're getting in your way and that, I mean, there's been plenty of situations where that's happened and I just go, well, I'm probably not going to do more there. And it's not trying to be cocky and saying, I'm so good at this that I don't need editing. I know I need editing, but it's just like, what's the nature of the edit? Is it, is it about structure? I'll entertain that. Is it about going over a point that should be obvious to the reader, but isn't obvious to the editor for whatever reason? You know, I've written stuff about hip hop and the editors have not been versed in hip hop. And you're like well what's you know what is this it's like if i have to explain what this is this piece no longer speaks to the audience this piece speaks to somebody who would never listen to this but how
1: do you process that gary like writing a piece about hip-hop and the editor doesn't understand hip-hop like that would frustrate it it does
0: it does and it it happens sometimes you know you want to hope that when someone takes you on to write for them even if it's just in a piece by piece capacity, that they're going to have some faith that you understand and can communicate what you're writing about. But sometimes in a particular publications and that's at legacy publications too, there is a a desire to over-explain in some cases. And then in others, there's just, you know, some people just, they have high level roles where they're being too hands-on in those high level roles, you know, that's often a problem. Or if somebody's just like, they're here because they can do this work, but they actually don't understand the context of it, then there's blind spots. You know, you get into issues of race. That definitely falls into play. We're just like, I've had that issue far more to happen with a white editor than with a non-white editor. Um, that's just the reality of it, you know? And I try to approach it in a way where I say, okay, well, I recognize that I might have to explain this a bit more to this person. It, but it also may mean that I just don't, don't do much with them again. I may not pitch that outlet unless I really think that the piece that I have is the right thing for them. Or if they pitch me, which, you know, thankfully happens a decent bit now where people say, like, oh, Gary could be a good person to write this. uh I don't, you know, I, I may or may not take on the assignment remembering that experience. I be mean, like, if I have to explain to you who, you know, what Terror Squad is, like, if I got to do that, I don't know. I know, it's like, if I have to, if I have to really talk through KMD to you, like, I, I don't know. where This should be like a sentence. It should not be more than that. Like these are the. And I mean, I get those as kind of extreme examples, and that's purely for shock value. For here, but like it can get. But it can be. It can be like that. It it do be like that sometimes.
2: Yeah, it be
0: like, like you know, that. Eric Sermon.
2: You know, I just on. realized Gary he's got bars. <laughs> of course he is. He's from Queens, bro. Everyone from Queens has bars. He's like he's like an MC's MC for writers. He's a writer's writer. Mm. You understand? It's about the essence. It's about integrity. It's about using certain words. Like you, certain words have, have denote and have connotations to certain things, and he's very careful about that. He's he's like
1: he's he's like a red man, a, a J Rue, He's like a Royce. It's it's a writer's writer. It's funny. We we you know, Sumit and I were just talking before. You logged in the call and it was about people who are put in position to lead and critique and edit, not just journalism, but just in general, it could be your office and they themselves are not qualified or they're uninformed, but yet they're put in a position to, like I remember going for an assistant manager's role when I worked in retail, I was told I couldn't get the job. I didn't have the right experience, but I was asked to train the person who they gave the job to. So it was like, hold on, if I can't do the job, how can I train the person to do the job? It's it's absolutely nuts. And it makes me want to just do a Michael Douglas in falling down yeah. and just go mad. No.
0: Falling down is not a movie that holds up well in uh 2021 terms, I'll tell you that. It is highly hashtag problematic in so many different ways. Um, but
1: I watched it for the first time Jeez. in like January. For the f- this yeah, for the first time in my life. Look, and I when I saw it, I loved, when I
0: saw it, what it. was it, like 90, 91, when I saw it when I was younger you i love the anti-hero aspect of it when i watched like the fast food scene now the breakfast scene it is like disturbing to me on a level that would not have been back then back then it would have been like fuck yeah i want breakfast and now it's just like oh my god these minimum wage fucking workers are being terrorized by an angry white man with a automatic weapon and the families in the restaurant just trying to eat some food like I see it now as a horror film. I know this is completely aside of what we were talking about, but that's but that but I but I bring that up because I think about that. Yes, it does make you want to rage when you see someone undeserving in that role, but as I think we've we've seen in journalism quite a bit, you know, with the establishment of the New Yorker Union and the fight that they're having there and all these publications that are fighting for better wages uh, and salaries for their workers the reality is that people who get these roles get them because they're able to either have some level of privilege or follow a pipeline that is only accessible to those with privilege. I can't take an unpaid internship on. When I was, when I was 22, I could not take an unpaid internship. Home girl from
1: NFL. Yeah, um, exactly. There's been that discussion these last few days and she just doesn't, she doesn't get it. Like it's just oblivious to her, like unpaid internships, whether they were designed for certain people, I don't know, but they seem yeah. to benefit and favor those who can afford to I work believe, for little, I believe or in free. the sinister.
0: I believe that there is absolutely insidious aspects of this that we have normalized. These barriers have been in place that you're they're training or training somebody for a job that they say you're not qualified to do. It's stark. There's something devious about that. There's something evil about that. Even if it is in the banal, even if it isn't the just sort of like, well, it's just the way things are, you know? So I'm glad to see like kind of union challenges at these media companies and things like that. And to see someone say something about unpaid internships on Twitter and get streamed at, because the reality is, is that like, you couldn't, so many of you I know could not have gone that route. You know, I think of some of my, some of my favorite writers, really my favorite critics and writers in hip hop and otherwise who are operating today, people who I'm proud of. And I know their stories. I know how they got to where they are today, whether they're running their own newsletter or they're the chief music critic at a a major publication. Their stories, especially if they're a a person of color, especially if they're BIPOC, does not go with that, well, I took an unpaid internship here, and then it moved me up to this role and so on and so forth. No, it's not that. It's I worked, I did things on the side, I hustled, and I through luck and grit got where I was and luck being a huge factor because the institutions and the structures are stacked against you.
2: Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I, I, I don't disagree. I think there is this, it's their way of, I guess, controlling or gatekeeping certain aspects to, to ensure that certain people thrive than others. It's, it's crazy. But with all that being said and all that
0: fuckery, what motivates you still to write? Well, because I, I, I live in a, in a time period where you have the ability to, to do so, you know, it's, it's very easy to get disillusioned and it's very easy to, to give up, but I, I didn't, 20 years ago, I didn't think this was going to be my job. I didn't think I was going to be going on radio shows, <laughs> podcasts now to talk about my work and my craft and my path. Like I, I I saw myself as kind of middle management with the idea of getting into upper management and maybe taking on some VP roles and, you know, office work and, you know, business travel. And that was great. You know, that was, that was a path for me. I was okay with that. You know, and I was, that, that's a, that's its own thing. I care about what I do and I like what I do. And I realized that technology has allowed me to do a lot of things. So, you know, being on Twitter allowed me to develop a, a voice and cultivate an audience that I otherwise wouldn't have had access to. And so it's like there are a lot of people who who hate what I do on social media, who 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 think of it and speak pretty plainly to the fact that they hate it. That's their own deal. Others love what I do and appreciate it, or find it curious at least, as and maybe even provocative or or you know, or at least, and provocative in the sense of like, it's a provocation. I am challenging you to tell me I'm wrong or to bring me your perspective and, you know, come with your case. But like that to me is just what cr- real critics do. You know, I think about like Stanley Crouch passed away last year. You know, amazing, incredible jazz critic, but also like a figure that was as pugilistic as they come. He is somebody who had positions that were hard fought and was willing to fight you for them. I didn't agree with everything he wrote, but I admired him tremendously, you know? And it's like, those are the kinds of people who I look to and admire. And I say like, I don't necessarily see myself as ever getting to the level of a Stanley Crouch. I mean, the man is a genius, but I admire what they do. And that's the sort of thing that drives me because if I say, I don't have to write for Pitchfork, I don't have to write for Complex, I don't have to write for these places, I can carve out a path for myself, then great. The bizarre side effect of this is by doing the work and doing it the way that I do and generally on my terms I've got opportunities I write reviews in Rolling Stone about latin artists pretty regularly now it's you know it's a strange situation to have been a teenager who read Rolling Stone to now be writing it and have my byline there but at the same time I wasn't sitting there actively seeking that it wasn't on my fucking vision board you know like oh I'm going to one day that no it's it's just it happened that way because I was doing my own thing the way I wanted to do it. And I was able to do this because, for a number of reasons, technology is certainly one of them, and you know the ability to communicate, the ability to express myself in those forums. Not everybody does can do that. Some people have the technology, but don't have the ability to speak to an audience or don't understand how you can use that, or even, as I've sometimes done, weaponize that technology to cultivate a, an audience or discussion around you.
1: Mm, 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 So one thing I've I've learned, and one thing I've witnessed, I think in the pandemic, by the way, I think journalists write the best subtweets on Twitter. I think it's been like the wild, wild west during this pandemic, it's been journalists <laughs> and DJs. I want no smoke with none of you lot, because I see the shots going off and I know who they aimed at it's and good. I just sit back and Beautiful. watch the show like Dr. Dre. But tell me in 2021, 2020, in your opinion, the state of independent journalism, where is it? And where do you think it's it's going
0: to go? It's in a larval state is the best way I'll describe it, is that we have been through so much death and so much destruction in terms of everything from alt-weeklies and independent publications to the downsizing at bigger places to, you know, the Conde nastification of places like Pitchfork, uh, you know, where it's like you have an independent outlet that, gets bought by a huge company and is now just part of that machine. Not to say that it affects the editorial strategy, but it affects decisions of of on other levels that can feed into editorial. You know, I'm not just using this as shit on pitchfork. It's just an easy one for people to understand when I refer to them as a place. And as a music critic, it's like the place that, you know, you're meant to look at as a benchmark, which I don't necessarily agree, but it's certainly popular for that respect. But like we're in a larval state because we've been defending ourselves as independent Journalists and writers from the abuse of the outside. We developed a hardened shell. So, things like the rise of newsletters, which I don't see as the future of journalism by any stretch of the imagination, has at least allowed independent writers and creators a space in which to do something for themselves and maybe monetize a bit. You know, the newsletter spaces work tremendously well for politics. If you write about politics, then That's the medium. You can make six figures, seven figures doing that. Now there's some amazing things for it. The problem is it's mostly the worst people. It's your, it's your, you know, your Glenn Greenwald's people like that who get that, but it it exists for arts journalism. It's a much, much smaller scale. So I don't see it as the answer. You know, the way I talk about it, the way people ask me is like cabbages doesn't pay my bills, but it pays some of my bills. And that's the way that I look at it. it's like, if it's like, well, I know that like this is covered, this is covered, and this is covered this month. Then there's a value to that. And as somebody who freelances, it's like, you know, I've got to have a mix of things going on at any given time. If I get to the point where I've, you know, because I'm trying to do something that's reader supported, where I develop enough paid readers in in the mix to do more, then I'll do more. It's why I started things like the podcast. It's why I, I've and thinking about other opportunities to things to do with that brand beyond the newsletter. But for now, it's paying some bills and it gives me a forum to write for an audience that's receptive.
1: Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. And um, the newsletter is amazing, by the way. I read it. I read it every time it comes through. And one thing that always impresses me, and it actually, it doesn't just impress me, Gary, it leaves me in awe. It's just how you can really capture the moment with like different genres and like artists. That I'm, Cause I'm, I would like to say I'm pretty like got my finger on the pulse when it comes to indie artists, but I'll always learn about new artists through your, your newsletter. Tell me about the process from start to finish, how, how you put together a, a cabbages I mean, newsletter. I
0: got my little spreadsheet and my little spreadsheet is just kind of, I put some things in there. Like I'll receive a heads up that something's coming out and I'm like, okay, well, I want to have a Q and A with that artist, you know, because I have relations with publicists, you know, in the different way than a publication has, where it's like they have a relationship with a publicist and they need to like keep that publicist happy. If that publicist decides I write something and they don't like it, they never want to work with me again. I don't fucking care. But like, other places, they, but I do have relationships, and a lot of them are based on a certain level of of a mutual respect. You know, people admire what I do, and I respect that they, you know, they don't come to me with bullshit. So it's like, okay, I have my little spreadsheet and it kind of keeps track of, okay, I'm, I'm, this record is coming up. So I know what my, what I'm going to, at least one of the things I'm going to write about in this particular week. And you know, I try to think a few, I try to think a few weeks out, even if it's just piecemeal, you know? And then it's like, I get, yeah, I, I receive stuff from, through email. People will will hit me up. You know, I, I have a contact form on my website and you know, we're just like, you can just, pitch me your stuff and i'm happy to give it a shot you know i try to listen at least a little bit to everything that i get sent unless something is like completely outside of the realm you know it's like okay this isn't even hip-hop like why are you why are you, why are you bothering with me i'm not i'm not that person but and then usually the main topic so like the way the, the newsletter is structured is usually like a main essay on sundays and then three album recommendations and then i a throw a throwback video for uh for the old folks like me to appreciate and then you know and it, it's fun because i feel <laughs> like it's like i throw a lot too. of words at you you know it's like i throw you like you know six paragraphs and then three more paragraphs and then it's just like that's why i stopped putting the, the uh i can i now get the q a's the artist q a's are only in thursdays now uh just because i'm trying to make it readable for you like it's like i know i think i originally thought of it as like it was your sunday newspaper and now i'm just like it's a section of the newspaper calm down <laughs> so, uh, Sundays, like, you know, it ends with that throwback clip is sort of the palate cleanser and just like, oh, okay, this is something I think we can agree on or something that we will appreciate. But my goal is largely to showcase, especially in that middle section with three recommendations, stuff you may not have heard about. And the only way I can do that is by doing the legwork myself and also, you know, reading the emails that otherwise most publications would ignore. It's like, okay, they don't have the bandwidth for it. And it's, I don't fault them. I don't fault editors at, at these outlets or free, or even like, or staff at these outlets for not checking the uh, you know proverbial slush pile. I'm more inclined to do it. And the truth is because of how I write cabbages, it's easier for people to feel like, oh, I might actually fit into what he's trying to do there. And also as someone who screens hundreds of emails a day can say, oh no, this one actually might be a good fit. I should check this out. I should devote some time to it. So there's some things you just kind of take on faith and you really try and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Sometimes people ask me for like feedback and just say like, do you think this is good? What are your thoughts? If I have the time to do it in that moment, I will. Otherwise I usually leave it unread. I I mark it as unread and go back to it because, you know, the whole point of why I started this newsletter in the first place was to fill a need. And that need was there's no room in publications for independent unknown, and for the most part, mid-tier artists. It's the superstars or it's the maybe, you know, algorithmically possible next superstars and that's it. It doesn't leave much room for these other folks. Like I saw there was a, there's a, a duo who I wrote about and I, I also, and I interviewed recently, uh, it was uh, from Norway, was, uh Ole Berger Beats and, uh, and Vuyo, who put together an amazing, like, jazz and soul influenced record, amazing beats, amazing perspectives, neither of them American, fascinating perspectives, really cool stuff. And I saw the album was reviewed and pitched for. And I said, that's amazing. I love that. I'm thrilled that that publicist was able to make that happen. If they didn't have that publicist, I don't know if they would have had that that moment. So it's like I get a lot of things that come from not from publicists, come from the artists themselves. And I think that what I'm doing is I'm I'm trying to cultivate a relationship even if it is it's a professional relationship I'm not trying to be anyone's friend, but I'm trying to cultivate a relationship with the readers as well as with these artists, they know like this is a space where you can do this.
1: And I like what you just said about not trying to be anybody's friend because that is the um the office mantra here at Breaking Atoms. We call cool with you agree, Gary. the problem yeah. is the problem is Gary He says this, but he's always trying to be my friend, and I'm like, no, we don't need to be friends, right? Just turn up, switch the mics on, and we're good. This is this guy's been ducking me for like 18 months. I haven't seen him in 18 months. He's ducking the smoke because when I see him, now that's a bonus
0: episode right there. We got to monetize all that content.
1: Yeah, man, Summit versus Chris. I'm gonna punch him dead in his face. Um, you've you've guest edited some books,
2: um, and I I was really interested about how you approach editing a book.
0: I mean, guest editing is a, is a funny term, you know, it's sort of like editing is the thing like I'm not doing an editor's role like you think of an editor. It's more of a curatorial role is probably the easiest way to do it. So like with the uh, the Best Damn Hip Hop, you know, 2018 book, with that with that book, I was approached to be part of that project mainly because they believed that I could bring a perspective that was not there in that in that volume as it had been. So I went through and proposed, these are people you should reach out to. These are pieces that I think are worth putting in. And I tried to contextualize that with the writing that I did for it. But it was less about me pouring over things than saying like, here's what I think. Like, Like, let's talk about Spanish language, hip hop. Let's talk about underrepresented groups. Let's talk about aspects of this like i made sure that there was a section there were there were pieces in there that reflected uk drill i was in i was dead set on it because it's like from an american perspective the understanding of uk drill two years ago was nil three years ago was nil there's no context for it it was strange to us we were still talking about grime like as like isn't that interesting you know Maybe Skepta came over and did a fool's gold day off or something, and maybe he maybe he actually played a, a bigger venue on, on one of his you know New York shows, but the reality is like UK drill was not something that anybody here understood. And what they weren't understanding, the part that was most interesting to me as a reader from outside the UK was the censorship, was the criminalization, was the punishment that was along with this. I felt like this is a big scandal and what it turned out being, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but it foreshadowed what happened and what has continues to happen with Brooklyn drill with the New York scene where these artists were like not allowed to play in their own city. I'm blessed to have seen one of the only pop smoke live performances in New York city. And I, I, I thank, I thank God that I did. And you know, it was a, it was a bizarre show because it was a it was a, it was a, a fest. It was kind of like a one day, one night, you know, indoor quote unquote fest uh, that combined hip hop artists and Latin artists. And so like, it was my wheelhouse and like the headliners were like artists I come to see. It's like, okay, like I'm gonna go see Osuna, Faruko, like people like that. But then it was also like the promoter had pull and he brought in like, you know, like, I mean, one of the headliners was, um, who was the friend, there was another headliner. There were some, they're big names like hip hop, R&B and then Latin folks. And then he put surprises. And one of the surprise performers was Pop Smoke. And this wow. was when Welcome to the Party was the song. So imagine a Barclays Center, sports arena in Brooklyn, of people shouting all those lyrics back at him from the stage. He came on, wow. did one song, bounced. It was it was a moment. As we just didn't realize it was rare. And so every single time he tried to play in New York after that was impossible. He was only able to play that show because he was able to basically get snuck in and snuck out before the NIPD
2: could shut them down. It's great. We, we've had that problem predates Grime 2, uh, predates Drill, sorry, UK Drill. Yeah. We've had that problem for a long time. They used to have a, I think it's called Section 30. Uh, and Something I think they've abolished like it yeah. now. And essentially, yeah. can't remember a, the name. even if it was nightclub performances, you would have to enter, uh, the promoter would have to enter the ethnicity of the artist, where they're going to perform, the artist name, all of that. And typically, I mean, one person that predates uh drill who got, who bought a lot of the brunt of it publicly that we knew about was gigs. Oh, sure. Giggs could not perform at all. At his, when he was on Excel records with mm-hmm. Adele. Yeah. This is when he was supposed to go and get, and he couldn't, and they stopped him and they started. And then thank God, you know, he's done incredibly well even after that. Yeah, sure. Um, but that was a massive deal for me. And it, it still happens to this day, where a lot of artists get shut down. Uh, but there was the criminalization that the Metropolitan Police had. That was a real thing. There was a Section thirteen. There was a lot of bias towards um, black artists who were trying to perform their music um, because they quote from come come from a quote unquote uh, bad background in their eyes, and they would just shut all these all these raves down. and And I think I think the point I would like to add because I'm on this crusade is uh, to all you hip-hop colonizers out there and people who are trying to document this culture, you forget that from the comfort of your middle-class home in the Shire. You forget that there are people out here who are trying to do well for their family, for themselves, for their kids. I'm off on one, Chris. And you sit Mm -hmm. there critiquing hip-hop about what's good and what's not when you couldn't make a beat, couldn't write a rap, but you feel comfortable enough to critique and criticize, not constructively,
1: uh, someone who's trying to make who's trying to do good for themselves. So and also gas up, gas up. Kids getting killed in the street from the comfort of your YouTube comments. I ain't got yes. time for it's ridiculous.
0: It. But anyway, no. I digress. But no, but it's a, it's a good point because it, it actually brings us to, and I'm taking over your show. Um, it brings you to this this sort of notion of like who who's allowed to write about these things, and it's like the allowed stuff has always mm. been tricky because, like, look, I can, I can show you where I grew up. I can I can. Make it very clear to you where I'm from, and from there, it's like you're not going to be sitting around going like, "Oh, you know, he's some rich kid from some spoiled neighborhood or whatever." Like you're not going to see that. But it's just like I write well and I communicate well, and so suddenly my last name means nothing. Suddenly it's like, "Well, okay, this is just some person." It's like, "So it's like, never mind that I'm from the same I'm from the same part of Queens as Noriega, and he's only a couple years older than me." Like never mind these things. It's like, if there's always this kind of thing. And that's born out of a very reasonable defensiveness. Like, I'm willing to take it and fight back because I feel like I have the bona fides to be able to go and, and do that. But when you talk about folks who've grown up with a suburban mindset, who've viewed hip hop as entertainment solely, as opposed to an experience or as experiential, they're not relating to the lyrics in the same way as somebody who you know, is in it. Certainly not to the same level as the artist, which isn't to say for me that that I believe you have to have that. But it does impact when you're writing about this music. I think the reality is the fact that there's enough, you know, artists who are ostensibly trap artists on the Billboard Hot 100 means that it's pop music. And so people are going to write about it from a pop music perspective. It's unavoidable. But I think the chroniclers and the critics who most interest me are those who understand this culture and engage with this culture in a way that reflects a deeper understanding than purely is this is this fire is this gonna go off at a party yeah is it how's this gonna sound in my car like it's, it's gotta be more than that it's gotta be more Did than it that, age well you know and i think the the good news is that you do have those folks out there and they're writing at good places the problem is that there's also other folks who are simply like i want to write about hip-hop and it's like okay you know i i wanna i wanna own a tesla I think there are barriers to entry and some, some of those barriers to entry are reasonable. Mm.
1: What you just said is amazing. It makes sense. And you know, 99.5% of what you've said, I agree with. I think the goat and the gripe that Sumit and I have is when you have, it's just the lack of diversity. And I'm not just talking about the ethnic diversity, Gary, it's mm-hmm. the diversity of thought is the diversity of approach because right now, and I'm speaking for myself because I don't want to drag anyone into this, it seems very elitist and it seems like, you know, for example, and I've said this before, we'll call out certain things in the music, um, we'll talk about how violence is bad and knife crime over here, yet we celebrate music that depicts these situations so graphically and almost frivolously and we don't say anything about it. And that actually, it doesn't even upset me, Gary, it actually hurts me to the fact that I'm, I feel like our culture is seen solely as entertainment. And when these people are finished with it, they will move on and leverage their privilege elsewhere. Because like you said, it's just entertainment to them. It's not an experience. And it irritates me, you, you, you'll, you'll, you'll see this theme in this interview. I get easily irritated, I get angry, I get hurt. I'm an actual mess. I'm in therapy, Gary, the but that's
0: just part of my, um, my thing.
1: And it irritates I mean, you're, me. Yeah. You're
0: describing kind of the fundamental paradox. It's often used, and it's often used as a way to unfairly, you know, to penalize the artists as well as those who write about it. You know, is to say like, you know, well, why aren't you talking about these things? It's like there's ways to 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 be a to be a good ally. It's like if you recognize that these are that the violence is real, and it's like you get accused of glorifying. Well, what where what are you doing at the ballot box? Now, what do you do in your day to day? What do you use your platforms to amplify? Are you just putting a black box on your Instagram and that's your your contribution to the fucking discussion, or are you out there like electing local officials who are trying to do good things in the community? Are you doing th- like we did? I mean, this is such a small scale thing, but like we on on the Cabbages podcast, we did an episode uh, with Elucid, and this season on the podcast. We have, we're talking to rappers about the leprechaun movies. It sounds fucking absurd, but we're having a good time doing it. And we talked to him about it. And he was like, I couldn't get through the movie. I couldn't get through it. And I was like, well, like, what if we like venmo you for the, uh, for that, but we also like got, we raised money to get you some, get all, get you a copy of all the movies digitally. And then any money over that goal goes to food pantry here in Queens. hundred fucking percent on board. We were almost that goal. We had pretty modest goal, but if I get a, hundred, a couple hundred bucks into my community food bank that feeds like 200 people every week, then I'm doing something because I'll, the problem ultimately is that we, they, it becomes, it's, you're glorifying violence, you're glorifying, you know, criminality and criminals. It's like, it's like, no, that's, that is a myopic view that takes away the responsibility of government of and the institutional responsibility that is there. We need to fix the problems that perpetuate violence. Otherwise, the only option that these people have is to put black and brown people in jail. That's the only fucking answer they have otherwise. Or find ways to disenfranchise them. So it's like, I understand that paradox of being pained by violence, being affected by violence. I don't think you can listen to some of these artists as a human being and actually listen to these lyrics and not catch what's actually being said. There's pain in this stuff. Like, why is Lil Dirk so popular right now? Like, you're not relating to him fucking being, being hot. You're relating to him expressing pain in an extraordinarily relatable way. Even though his experience is not going to be related to all those listeners. And it's like, what if we took the steps to fix these problems? What if we fucking abolish the police? What if we defund the police? What if we take the steps to fix these problems in a real way. And it's like, I feel like it's a responsibility of all hip hop listeners. If you're gonna consume this as entertainment, then it's your responsibility to vote accordingly, put your, your disposable income where it should go to improve the lives of the people who are making this art. Not just on the individual level, not just on the level of buying the CD or buying the merch, putting money in the hands of record company executives out in LA it's do something. And I'm not saying you have to become an activist, just like make fucking better decisions. Don't fucking vote for Donald Trump. Like don't do shitty things. Don't say shitty things online that are racist, like just behave better and then use what power you have to do something better. Just to improve the lives of these people who are making this art for you. Cause I'm going to tell you right now, while there's a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff about great art coming from pain. I can tell you that a lot of great art comes from joy. And I think we would love to have as much fucking joy in hip-hop as possible. I mean, look at like people like Megan the Stallion. Look like at Megan the Stallion. I hate to see what's happened to her because so much her music expressed joy to me. This is kind of this 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 you know, I love I mean in fact that also she's just like, you know, wraps circles around people when she wants to. It's just like there is a possibility for for for, for more joy in here. But we have to do our part in the media sphere, as well as as the individual listener basis. I know that's a bit preachy ranty, but like, that's no, my, that's my way around it. That's my way around it. Otherwise, I don't know who else. I was going to say, I wanted to give you
1: the soul clap, Gary, because I grew up in church. You just delivered a sermon. That was a sermon. That was Pastor Gary. Pastor Gary Suarez, turn to your neighbor on the left and say, Amen turn to your neighbor on the right and say, amen. You have articulated my frustration in a way that I was unable to. So to all the listeners out there, to all the colonizers, because I want smoke too, you know, next time you play your Mob Deep, next time you play your King Von, yeah? Next time you play that stuff, why don't you do something on the ground in your real life that will actually go some way in terms of addressing the situations that create this music. We don't need any more pain wherever necessary. We we, we can get good music from you joy. Know, yeah, I'm you not know Angry, hundred percent. And
0: I know it feels irrational. Like, why are you angry? Like, in the same like, it, there's that TikTok meme that's going around of the stove for Shook Ones Part Two, where people are basically turning on their stove because they found out that the Shook Ones beat comes from a stove.
1: Right. But you know what's funny, Gary. Havoc said it's not from a stove. He just said people just ran with it and he left oh, them. I mean, at least at
0: very least, it's urban legend. But people are now doing that, and I'm saying the faces of the people who are doing that are not necessarily people who would be allies uh, in in the fight. People who would people who would not have a good time in Queensbridge Park tonight. Got it. Got it. No, listen, you've.
1: No, I, lo- I love what Gary's Man, doing. Listen, I love like
0: Gary Wood
2: smoke. Fucking love Gary you, would smoke. I, I, know, I know I'm talking <laughs> about his third person. I fucking love you, Gary.
1: I'm telling you right <laughs> he's now. It's very
0: kind of you. I appreciate. Yeah, it.
1: I, I am telling you. Just so you know, in it, Gary, you come to the UK, you're good. I got, got you. I used to go there I've all the time.
0: You. I work for a British company. I used to be there every. I to be there every year.
1: I'll be your security. I'll be security for all Gary. Right. Pull up. No, don't, don't listen. Don't listen to Sumi. If, if, if he's nah, your security, listen. listen I was security for Raekwon for a bit, bro. I'm, I'm, I'm security for Gary, bro. No, no, no. Raekwon could look nah, after I, himself. I don't care, bro. Come on now. Like he made Cuban links. I does
2: you Anyone comes to smoke for Gary online, I see it, bro. Watch. That back is real. No, no,
0: Gary could look I after know, himself. I know, I know. Gary, be right. some instruction. But I appreciate it. The support is nice. I appreciate you.
2: No, I, I'm, I'm Gary. You, you, you could, um, you could suplex me. It's all I'm, right. I, I'm, I know you <laughs> could. I know you could. I'm, I'm just fucking with you. But on, on a serious note, uh, you have absolutely articulated. I, when I say hip hop colonizers, they're people who try to position themselves as leaders and thought leaders in this space. And I look at their moves and how they're moving. And I'm not going to name names yet because. I haven't got to that point yet I have to build up the name again because the name went away for eight years but it's just understanding that when you position yourself as a historian a documenter and all these fancy words you like to put on your twitter or clubhouse buyers it's great however this is a real thing it's a lived experience for a lot of people and you've got to treat it as such this isn't like any other music art form that's penetrated popular culture. This is this is this comes from a rich lineage of different genres of music. So we have to treat it and and preserve the integrity as much as we can. So when I talk about it, I don't necessarily mean listeners. I mean people who per, per, who perpetuate a uh, a, a persona uh, of being people who are in the know, know everything, and know people. And it's not it's not correct. Um, and the reason why I have people like you on the podcast, and why we want people like yourself on the podcast is to highlight that there's so many different voices out there, incredible voices and people who have been through the culture and know how to write about the culture. It's very important that we showcase that so for that I am I am grateful Chris. I know you've got one more question
1: before we get the hell out of here let's let's do this. I do So Gary, New Year's it was New Year's Eve. I was out I came back to the crib and I saw a tweet from you about MF Doom yeah had passed now there's something about when I go out for food. Rappers die. Like, same thing with Mac Miller, King Von. I go out and eat and something happens. So I come back and I find out that MF Doom died from a tweet of yeah. yours. Now, I've got two questions for you. What were you doing when you found out that MF Doom had passed? And secondly, as a writer, can you elaborate on what makes MF Doom such a gifted
0: and impactful lyricist? The funny thing is I was writing when when I heard I was, I was sitting in this room on my laptop and I was writing. I was probably writing, I, I suspect I was writing something for the newsletter, but I was writing. Yeah, I, I remember that well. And I was like, so I had, sometimes what I have is I have that up and then I have like tweet deck up or something and I'm looking at like things. Cause sometimes it's like that helps me take my mind off or, or the And I saw it come through. And when that happened, you know, it was, it it, it shot the rest of my day for obvious reasons. And I, I, I've, I've, you know, it meant a lot to me. I think part of why MF Doom is so unique and, and, and revered is because he occupied spaces for people in, in such a way that you got into him, whether you were to hip hop or not, you got into him and you felt like he was something that you related to. Let me just explain a bit more what I mean. Is you have a record like the one he did with Danger Mouse, The Mouse and the Mask. You come into it because you were a fan of Adult Swim and you admire that somebody is gonna actually rap in a cartoon space and be ill That should be dope at it. As opposed to cartoons, horrible history of rap being God awful or cringeworthy, uh, or just sad. There's that. You have folks who are underground New York heads, flat brims, thinking about lyricism, bars. And then this guy comes through and he's a fucking poet. Then you evangelize about him. Suddenly, like, you think about like 2004 or 2003. If you're on a message board online, you're speaking about him and being like he's amazing. I need to evangelize about it, so he fills that space for people. And then there's just when you, the more you learn about his story, the loss of of Subrock, of the transformation from Zevlov X, going back and seeing him on Arsenio with third base. Him do his gas face verse. And that's how far back I go with him as I go back to third base. For me, it's just like suddenly that's my childhood is me being like, okay, he's been with me longer than I knew he was with me. So to have him go away is a profound experience, even though he lived a mysterious, elusive life, at least publicly. You know, everything that I've learned afterwards is he was he was an exceptional human being to those who were in his life for any period of time. You know, he was a good person and maybe he was didn't always make the decision that you wanted him to make for you, but he was that person. I think that's what connects people to him. And then lastly, it's everybody loves a bad guy and he played up a bad guy performance without being a bad person. Which I think all of us want to be the supervillain with good intentions, and I think that's what we get out of we get out of MF Doom, and I think that's what we continue to get out of him now. But that loss was uh, a profound one, and it was uh, it, it still you know hurts me today.
1: Man, Gary, you got away with words, you know. I should write. Yeah, man, you should start a newsletter. I should start a newsletter and a podcast. Gary just took us to a, a, a Gary just took us to church. Then he took us to a funeral. Man just gave a eulogy and a motivational Did speech you, in like 10 you. minutes. Yeah,
0: we'll do Spanish Spanish Spanish. Spanish services at six. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I t- look, I told you five, 10 minutes ago, I love this guy. You know what, Sumit? I've realized, I've realized who we are. I've realized who we are. Gary has shown us who we are. We are like the villains of podcasting. The lovable villains, like we're the, we're the people that will call out. We're the podcast
2: you love to hate. Yeah. With the Ice Cube of, of Broadcasting us,
1: man. Gary has illuminated my mind with the with The, the whole episode,
2: it's because it's the time of night. The whole episode, I've been trying to pinpoint if
1: Gary was a rapper, who he would be, and I haven't done it yet. It's going to bug me until I figure it out. His vocab is mad. Gary has said a couple of things in his podcast, right? I'm going to listen to it in the edit and draw for the dictionary because I had... He said a word. I can't even repeat it, bro. i I forgotten what it was. I know it was deep. It had like nine syllables in it, bro. And I'm just like, what does he mean? Bro, listen, Gary, there's a show in this country called Countdown. You would be excellent on it.
2: Yeah. You basically choose vowels and consonants and you got to make words of it and you can make the longest word nine. And you got, yeah, he's got bars, bro. <laughs> Carol Vorderman don't want none of Gary Suarez. No, 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 no. no. None. No, no, no. But listen, none. look, Gary, genuinely, um, all jokes aside, this has been this has been very illuminating for us. Um, I didn't know. I didn't know I would, I didn't expect to get this from you. Mm. And actually that is a, as an absolute compliment because you've really made me think you've really made me reassess my perspective on certain things. And you've, you've just met you've,
1: I've learned a lot. If I'm genuinely honest, I've learned a lot. Um, So thank you for that. Gary Suarez Cabbages. (laughs) Irregular Vegetables, Flushing, Queens, The Hat, we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Like, I, I don't want to just belabor the point and, and, you know, run it into the ground, but I've really enjoyed this conversation, and it's given me a lot to think about. It's bedtime over here, but I will not be going to sleep because you've given me many things to, to examine within myself and, and, and throughout the culture. So I appreciate you, and thank you. Yeah,
0: I mean, I had one goal coming in here today, and that was to be better than any other hip-hop writer you've uh, interviewed on this show before. So thank you.
1: No, no, no. Listen, we've had some serious people on this show. You know, Gary, Gary, you're up there, but we've had some serious
0: people. We've had some amazing guests, but I don't know. I've listened to them and I heard what I said. So here we go. He wants
2: the smoke. Do you know what? love you, man. You need anything from us, you let us know. Thank you so much, mate. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you. All right. Take care. A big thanks to Gary. I had scheduled like half an hour, I think. That went on double that, uh, a good hour or so, and we could have gone longer. Yeah, you don't,
1: you don't, you don't respect my time, bro. Sorry, you don't respect my time, innit? I don't respect your time. Remember, nah, this is bro. not a
2: safe space for you, for guests,
1: bro, for the fans. Safe space. R- remember, I know it's March, yeah, I know it's March, <laughs> innit? But Black History Month continues, innit? <laughs> respect me, innit? <laughs> respect me, bro. Uh, you know what? Yeah, we need, we need, um.
2: We need Breaking Atoms HR. We No, listen. If it was Breaking Atoms HR, I'd be called in every day. Ah, oh, bruv, you'd be out of here, bro. You'd be in a tribunal, and I'd that. be in. Yeah, I'd be in a tribunal. I'd be. Um, I'd be in a court case. Submit, you swore bruv, fifteen times in
1: fifteen minutes. I'll talk about the emotional distress. I'll talk about all You're of bullying,
2: that bullying I'm bull- I'm a bully. Yeah, I'm
1: being bullied, bruv. I can't come to work in it. Doctor had to sign
2: me off. Can you imagine? You know, we should do a. We should do a, a Breaking Atoms HR skip put it in the middle
1: of our episode yeah we should we should do I'm that. down with that we should we should do that right I'm down with that, that. W- that and and, awesome. the, and the HR's a Jamaican person okay some roll into the office like you know Chris is bullying me and the uh, HR goes what I'm to you? shut up shut up your out shut your mouth about bully stand up for yourself idiot boy I'm messing with you this was a good
2: episode with Gary I enjoyed it um his perspectives i i I appreciate um and he definitely wanted to smoke He was like, yeah, man, I I listen to your your other episodes, of writers. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: yeah. I know what they said. Yo, he's like, KRS-One. He's KRS-One. But bro, like, don't be, I mean, look, respect to Gary Suarez, the legend, but we approach things the same way, bro. Like, when we have guests come on the show, we read their work, listen to their music, and we come with the smoke in in the form of questions and bullet points. That's just how killers move, bro. We are killers. We are assassins out here, is what you're saying. Yes yeah, so you remember Triple H. What was his name?
2: The Cerebral Assassin. The Cerebral Assassin. That's us, so, man. What, what you're saying is that we're like Paulie and
1: Christopher Maltasante. Bro, there we go. Okay. We're Omar, not, not Omar. You can't be Omar. You're not allowed. We are Weebay and Chris. Wow. I'm Weebay, though. Who am I, Chris? Yeah, you have to be Chris still. What the the
2: the 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 guy who got uh, Michael into the game?
1: Yes. Damn. You mislead the youth. That's you. <laughs> I That's do, you, bro.
2: I do mislead. I, I mean, I did. I, I'd spent two hours of my time
1: guiding the youth, but yeah, I miss. Yeah, you mislead the youth, <laughs> bro. <miss> That's <laughs> you, bro. Hold that. I like that. I'm WeeBay. I'm WeeBay, bro. Just just real ten toes to the end me bruv yeah, yeah you know what I like WeeBay WeeBay Wee, Wee is a WeeBay is a solid character bro WeeBay <laughs> do you know what, yeah go on just imagine where you have to be in life to just confess to all them murders and just eat burgers bro yeah he confessed to murders he didn't even commit can I ask you a question then in the shield <laughs> are you Vic Mackey? <laughs> of course and then who would I be in the shield Ronnie,
2: who the hell's Ronnie again?
1: Ronnie was the one who got arrested at the end. <laughs> he got arrested at the end, but you know why I say you're Ronnie because you're, you're kind of techie still. Ronnie was the techie guy, yeah. Like, you know how to work little things. Oh, on, yeah, you
2: know. I, I know API connections and that. Uh, no, you know who I am. My,
1: um, Roxy told me who I am. She said, I want to be Vic Mackey, go on, but I'm not. I'm Lemansky. Wow, yeah, this is a good my game, by the way. My conscience, my conscience plays. If I feel I've done something wrong Or I'm doing something wrong My conscience messes with me bro
2: Wow
1: Yeah same same. Like I wouldn't I I wouldn't burn up money Like Lemansky did I'm not doing that No 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 But Yeah I'm Lemansky, bro Just don't blow me up With a grenade innit It's a good game though I like this game Yes bruv Who would Which character would you be in Dexter Trinity Nah nah don't say that Don't say that Kill children innit Relax Relax I'll I'll, I'll, I'll... (laughs) (laughs) I'll come for your (laughs) whole Yo You see the Trinity killer yeah He's a very serious man, bro. Saying, bro, bruv. <laughs> bro, I come for you why was all, like uh, bro. I come for your whole family tree, bro. Why was he like that? Because why was he, wh- bro? Why was he burying children underneath the, um, the new builds, bruv? <laughs> bro? Bro, do you, do you <laughs> what he did at the dinner table when he spoke to bro, his bro, wife? When he called his wife. No, I'm not saying that I'm not saying. No, it, I'm not saying. What,
2: but you know when he just
1: <laughs> nah, no. He who, was, he was dark. Who? He was dark. He was dark. You know they're bringing back Dexter. Terrible. Terrible idea. No, it's actually going to be season nine. I saw a a picture of it, so it's going to be set. I think like ten years. Terrible idea. After the end, them. No, but it's going to be good though, bro. Because I think it's the the writer yeah. from seasons one to four. Because you know that those were the goat seasons. Yeah, yeah, they
2: were, they were, they were.
1: So it's the same writer, him and Michael C Hall, who plays Dexter. They've linked up. Say, look, they've got a, a cool storyline. But this 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 season's going to have like a true crime podcast investigating the Bay Harbor murders. And they, she basically finds out that, you know, was it Dexter and is he still alive? And I'm ready interesting. for interesting. Okay. So in terms of who would I who would I be? I'm gonna go with the I can't remember his name, the creepy, uh, forensic guy. Masuka. Mas- <laughs> nah, 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 nah. Masuka was nasty there, bruv. <laughs> nah, Masuka was nasty. He was nasty. Who he could I be? Could like... I be
2: the cop who always goes surprise who's always, who was on to
1: Dexter from the get go? Nah, no, nah, that's me. Sergeant Dokes. You're dope. Yes, yes, Dokes. Yeah, I'm Dokes permanently vex, permanently vex, bro you see you see dokes yeah he knew from early who dexter was you know he knew from early bro but you know that white pri- bro can i ask you a question go on go on why was dexter filled with like so much white privilege bro have you noticed bro dexter will basically leave the office for like two hours bro no one say nothing and just drive around miami yeah. killing people dash them in the water and come back with his white linen trousers, and no one says nothing. I've just figured out who I am. Right, tell me.
2: I forgot the the guy's name. the The guy who used to wear the kind of fedora hat, who became chief at some point. Batista, sorry. Batista.
1: Batista. All right. you Can have that. He's he's got the chain. He's got the he's got the Hawaiian shirt. You know. You can have it. You can have it. You can have it. Batista was a was a loved character. I got time on, for on that. On the low
2: though, you know I'm Dexter, right?
1: Right. You're on the low, right? I I'll, 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 right. I'll, I'll cut some. I cut someone up, bro. No, nah, I got. I got to be sergeant. Dokes. Yeah, you're dokes they that. missed a trick with him, though. Yeah. Mister Trick. He should have had his own spin-off yeah. um, was, based on his time in Haiti. He was good. He was good. Um, that's not on Netflix anymore, is it? It's there. Yeah, yeah. Me and um, uh, me and the missus watched it. She got so upset, bro. She got so upset. She didn't like Dexter at the end. Yeah. Dexter took mad lunch breaks, bro. He did. He took He did. He did. <laughs> he did abuse his power. As a as
2: a as a blood analyst,
1: bro, he took mad lunch breaks. I remember there was one time yeah, he wants to go on like a, a seminar, in it he wants to go to a seminar and that, and he went to La Guerta and she signed it off, bro. And I'm just like, you know, this man's going to kill people, bro. Like, yeah, he went on a seminar, he got it signed off and that. Nah,
2: it's mad, it's mad. But putting put expenses and that. Yeah, no, I know, I know. <laughs> but we should uh, we should get back to the episode Sorry. And, and, cl- Sorry. and close Sorry. it out although we had fun and, and I'm sure our listeners would uh, would appreciate it if you know who you are in a said show tweet us at Break the Atoms Chris is uh, at I Am Kinetic, mine is at Hip Hop Chronicle let us know who you think you are in said show or who you think we should be in said show
1: no 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 don't don't, don't let people tell me who I should yeah, be yeah in it. tell people me in tell it. everyone if you me. could
2: do me a favour and let Chris if you could tell Chris who he could be and,
1: ex- and extend your privilege to tell him who you think he should be. I'm the night king, bruv. You're mad. I'm the night king. Yeah, there you go. There you go.
2: There you go. Here we go. Here we go. But no, I appreciate Gary for his time and uh, his candidness throughout the episode. Uh, As always, you can follow us on social. at break the atoms. Chris, I'm Kinetic. Mine's at Hip Hop Chronicle. We'll be back again next week with yet another episode. Until then, peace. Peace.